Good morning, everybody, and a very warm welcome to worship at Hillhead. Whether we are on site or online, in the northern or southern hemispheres, or wherever we are, it is good to be together. And it's lovely to be joined again by Lizzie and Jonathan, who, who visited us first a couple of weeks ago. Do introduce yourself to them at the end of the service and have a chat, if, if you want to stay, of course, I'm kind of presuming there. During our worship this morning, we will hear Will, Joan and Paul F. reading scripture. Jeff will lead our prayers for others. Elham and Ali will lead the Lord's Prayer. And shortly, Benjamin and Bardia will light our candle. Our musicians today are Paul, Sheila and Yang Yang. This evening on Zoom only is the last in a series of three reflections on the theme Worship in a digital aid, age even, and that will include a simple celebration of communion. Family news today is not particularly a large amount, but it is all equally important. Uh, an update from Tamara to say that she, Hannah, Aaron and Ben are all recovering from COVID, uh, but obviously still value our thoughts and prayers as they do so. And we continue to hold in our thoughts and prayers those in our church community who've recently bereaved, especially Brian, Grace and Will, Janet and Roger, Beth and Mary, Diane and Nigel, but also aware that there are many others who have bereavements out with our church community. And we continue to uphold one another in prayer and in our thoughts. Next Sunday morning, we will meet on site and online at 11am when I will be continuing our series, listening to the lectionary. And next Sunday evening at 7pm, our reflections will be led by the Reverend Roger Sturrock. But now it's over to Benjamin and Bardia to light our candle. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light that lights our way. May we glimpse Christ light this day.
Let us pray. God of life and love, as we gather this day, help us to know ourselves as your beloved children in whom you delight. God of mercy and grace, as we think back over the week now ending, show us the blessings we may treasure and help us to lay down any hurts or regrets so that we may step confidently into the days ahead. God of wisdom and understanding, open our hearts and minds so that we may hear your voice this day and, having heard, walk more closely in the footsteps of Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. ای پدر ما که در آسمانی نام تو مقدس باد ملکوت تو برقرار گردد اراده تو آنچنان که در آسمان ها جاری است در زمین نیز اجرا شود نان روزانه ما را امروز و هر روز به ما عطا فرما از غرض و گناه ما بگذر همانطور که ما از غرض و گناه دیگران میگذریم و ما را در آزمایش میآورد بلکه از شریر رهایی ده زیرا ملکوت قدرت و جلال از آن توست آمین presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I solemnly urge you. 
proclaim the message, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, carry out your ministry fully. Preachers seem to fall into two camps. Those who preach with a full script and those who preach without anything. Some homiletics teachers tell me that to preach without notes is superior, but I respectfully disagree. However, a wise person did once say to me that actually just occasionally you should preach without notes because one day you might need to. And over the few years, there has been the odd occasion where I've thrown my notes away and just spoken. Well, today I don't have a script. And let's be honest, that is dangerous because it means I'm far more likely to say something that I wouldn't if I had carefully written it down and thought about the words. Or I might say something I would have said, but with a little less temperance than I might have done. But I do have a few pointers to try and keep me on track because in my experience there is nothing worse than somebody standing at the front and rambling on for 25 minutes. The reading we heard from the letter, second letter to Timothy is part of a longer passage to which I locate my call to ordained ministry and many of you have heard that many times. It was as if somehow God spoke those words to me on a particular Sunday evening in 1997, which I remember very vividly. And when I stop to think about it, I feel the feels all over again. But as I read it again today and over the week, uh, but particularly first thing this morning, I was really struck to think about it from the perspective of Paul, the writer. 
He was a man whose life took an unexpected turn following his encounter with Jesus Christ. Now, whether that was a vision or a dream or whatever, I don't think matters. In that moment, something happened that turned his life around forever. And the time he's writing this, he's older. He has a wealth of life experience. And he's writing to a young man in who he can see gifts and skills, but also senses there was a particular call of God on Timothy's life. Well, I'm 59 years old. I've been preaching for a quarter of a century. And in the 20 years before that, I did a heck of a lot of leading devotions in Girls' Brigade. And my church that I went to as a teenager used to trot us out to the care home on Sunday evenings to sing a couple of hymns and do a prayer and a Bible story with the old people there. So actually, whether I like it or not, I'm in the position of Paul. I am the older person who feels they have something to say to the next generation, to pass on that baton, if you like. To encourage and empower other people, not necessarily to become ordained ministers, so don't panic. Not necessarily to stand at the front and preach or to teach in Sunday school or whatever it is. But to say that God loves you and God has equipped you for works of service. And they will be as different and unique as you are. But also for those of us who are older, and hey, I will officially be old in about three months' time when I get that big birthday. It's less than three months now, but never mind. Those of us who are older in in physical years and perhaps in life experience, I wonder who it is that we could send a card to, or a letter, or an email, a text message if you're up to it, or a WhatsApp message, or even give them a quick call to say, I just want to encourage you. I want to assure you that you are special and you have got something unique to bring to our faith community and to the world out there. And I guess for all of us, whatever our age or stage, and for us as a community of Christians together, to think, well, how might we discern God talking to us? We had expected to be partway into a discernment process now, and for all the right reasons, we've postponed actively doing that. But what might be God saying to us? How might we hear God in and through each other in these days as we journey on together? Let's sing.
same night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two maids and his 11 children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and likewise everything that he had. Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life is preserved. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. So I've already told you that I'm getting old. I went to school in the 1970s and most of my primary school years were spent in a small village primary school across the road from the parish church, which was Church of England because I grew up in England. And the rector would come over and do, well, he did scripture with the younger children and he did RI, religious instruction, with the older ones. I remember at around about the age of eight in scripture, we were working through the Old Testament and we came to the story of Jacob. I didn't like Jacob. He was a liar. He was a cheat. He was a manipulative wheeler dealer, if I'd had those words, which I didn't at the age of eight. And he always seemed to come out on top, no matter what he did. As an adult, and having had a lot of time to think about all of this, I can see now how God saw past all of that to discover underneath it a man of huge potential for good, if only his energy and ability could be rightly directed. Although I do think God could have got to that a bit quicker, to be fair. The story of Jacob wrestling all night at Peniel or Peniel or however he's supposed to say it 
beside the Jabbok River is a turning point in his life and actually allows me to view him a bit more kindly and even to learn something with him and from him. You see, finally, his past has caught up with him. He fled, having cheated his brother out of the birthright. He's kind of cheated his uncle. He's done weird things with flocks and herbs, although his his uncle did get one of him over him on the wives, but we'll not dwell on that too much. But now he has got to go back to where he came from. And it's night. And he's sent his wives and concubines and children across the river and he's on his own. He's alone with his thoughts and with his fears. Now, whether it was a supernatural experience or whether it was a vision or a dream, he finds himself wrestling with, well, who does he wrestle with? A man? An angel? Or God? His name is changed. He is given the name Israel, which literally means he wrestles with God. And that is the bit of this story that I always go back to and have done numerous times in my adult life. I wonder how many times you've wrestled with God. I don't mean physically had a fight, or maybe you have, I haven't. But really sort of turned ideas and thoughts over. Some of you know, some of you don't. I spent 10 years wrestling with God about whether I should be baptised as a believer. Because I'd been born into a family who didn't really do much church, but I'd have me baptised as a baby, and I had to work out Was that the right thing to do? Eventually, I kind of gave in because my fear was water, not God, and and I was baptised. And then came my call to ordained ministry just a few weeks later. And I do remember sitting there in my bed saying, well, do you know what, God, there's no point me arguing, is there? Because you're going to win anyway, so I'll just give in now. But things that we wrestle with God, injustice, unfairness, why bad things happen to good people, why people we love are snatched away from us, why corrupt politicians seem to get away with it, or whatever it is. We do wrestle with God. We do question the things we learned in Sunday school or the things we hear from the front of church. But also what strikes me about the story of Jacob is he's permanently changed by this encounter. We're told his hip is put out of joint. He goes for the rest of his life limping. There's a permanent reminder of that moment. And I remember years ago preaching about limping with the Lord, that we have the encounters with God that make us wrestle and we are changed permanently. We can't go back. We can't be that pre-wrestling person. It's risky to wrestle with God, with theology, with philosophy, because actually we risk losing the things that are pressure to us, precious to us. But it also means that we're prepared to take that risk that the games could be so good, so special, so life-changing for us and so life-giving to our faith community and to our world. 
On my bookcase at home, I have a book that was published around about the turn of the century called Wrestling and Resting. And in it is this short, short poem, which I'm going to read for you now. Hold on to your faith. Kindle it with your questions. Test it with your doubts. And you will have two faiths. A resting faith. A wrestling faith. Remember that they can live together They are not mutually exclusive. reading from Luke. Then Jesus told a parable about the need to pray always and not to lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor had respect for people. In that city there was a widow who kept coming to him and saying, Grant me justice against my opponent. For a while he refused, but later he said to himself, Though I have no fear of God and no respect for another, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will grant her justice, so that she may not wear me out by continually coming. And the Lord said, Listen to that what the unjust judge says. And will not God grant justice to his chosen ones who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long in helping those? I tell you, he will quickly grant justice to them. And yet, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Thank you. 
parable about prayer and persistence. A story in which the hearer or reader is reminded that God isn't like the judge. Except that sometimes, if we're truly honest, when we pray, it does seem a bit like God is like the judge. That our prayers bounce back off the ceiling. That they seem to go unheard or unanswered. There is a saying that I've known for a while, although I have to confess I didn't know where it came from, and I thought it was older than it is. Nevertheless, she persisted. Nevertheless, she persisted is a saying or a phrase that emerged as recently as 2017 in the USA. When Senator Elizabeth Warren, in a debate on the confirmation of Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama as Attorney General, was formally silenced. She had been questioning his suitability by citing other things that people had written about him and was told this was against the rules. This, these are, I believe, the words that were used to silence her. Quote, Senator Warren was giving a lengthy speech. She had appeared to violate the rule. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. And this phrase has been taken up by women concerned with women's rights and women's justice and other marginalised groups as well have, have taken these words and the, the sort of sense of determination, refusal, well, I can't say it, refusal to be silenced by powerful people, particularly but not exclusively men. Whether it is a poor widow in a parable about prayer or a powerful politician, these were women who refused to be silenced, who persisted in doing what they believed to be right, just, honourable and good. In each case, they were seeking justice. This dogged determination, or is tenacity the right words to use, is part of what each one of us is called to do and to be, to stand up for truth and justice, to keep on working out what it means to follow Jesus in a complicated and confusing world, and refusing to give up believing, even if it all feels utterly futile. I have, over the years, often quoted a prayer that was scrawled on the wall of a Jewish ghetto, I believe in Poland, at the time of the Nazi occupation, when Jews were being rounded up into ghettos and then were sent on to death camps. I believe in the sun when it isn't shining. I believe in love when I can't feel it. I believe in God even when God is silent. And so I find myself wondering, what have we heard God saying to us today? Not necessarily in my words, 
perhaps in the scriptures, perhaps in the songs, perhaps in each other. I wonder what it is that we might need to wrestle with God about as individuals or families, as a faith community, as part of the greater worldwide church. And I wonder what it is we need to persist in doing or being. As I put my notes together at a ridiculously early hour this morning, I did find myself recalling these words recorded at the end of the Gospel according to Matthew. Words which I find helpful and reassuring. Words of Jesus. I am with you always, to the very end of the age. So be it. Amen.
We come together this morning in our prayers for others and in our prayers for each other. So let us pray. Lord, you have come to the seashore, neither searching for the rich nor the wise, desiring only that we should follow. O Lord, with your eyes set upon us, gently smiling, you have spoken our names. All that we long for, we find by your side. <clears throat> Lord, you have come to the air aid shelters, to the refugee camps, to the famine emergency relief camps. We pray for those who are suffering, that they will hear you calling their names and find peace, justice, reconciliation, compassion and practical relief through you at their side. Lord, you have come to the homeless shelter, to the food bank, to the hospice room, desiring that we follow you there to live out your loving mission. We pray that they hear us call in their names and that they find peace and comfort with you at their side. Lord, you have come to the graveside, promising to be there with us, beside us, among us, alongside us, with us in our grief and in our mourning for those whom we have loved as a congregation or known only to us as individuals. We have committed their earthly bodies to your care, but their stories and their memories live on within us. You have spoken our names, and that which we long for, we find through you by our side. Lord, you have come to us through your resurrection, with your eyes set upon us, desiring to share your grace, your forgiveness, and your love. And Lord, you have come to us, each one here this morning, with us in our grief, in our compassion and concern for others. And we name this morning our brothers and sisters in the Baptist Union of Wales, Perth, Peterhead, and Pitlochry Baptist Churches. We bring to your care Brian, Grace and Will, Katrina, our minister, office bearers, managers, and the coffee club, Liz and Douglas, Paul Parsons and Mary, Leslie and Alistair, Nancy, Lizzie and Petrie, Ian, Elizabeth and Joanna, and all in our worshipping community, whether in the hotel, on Zoom, or here only in spirit. Dear Lord, with your eyes set upon us, you have spoken each of our names, so that all that we long for we find through your presence at our side, through the love that will not let us go. Amen.
Let us go today in the love of our creator, in the strength of our redeemer, in the power of our sustainer, in the fellowship of witnesses from every tribe, nation and culture. Let us go forth today, united with the sacred three, in harmony with the Holy One, compassion in our hearts, gratitude in our thoughts, generosity in our deeds, and justice as our passion. Let us go forth today, carrying God's image into our hurting world. Amen. <laughs>